I want to talk to you today, uh, I want to talk to you today about your table's threshold. Your table's threshold. I know that's not necessarily a phrase you've heard before, but I want to, I want to talk to you about what is your table's threshold. And I want to dig into some of that. Now, Mark chapter 2 is where we've hung out over the last uh, several weeks. How many of you loved our dinner party in church last Sunday? Everybody at the table hanging out. I never did get one of those cupcakes. That's okay. Um, I know somebody grabbed, I think it was Kristen or John. John probably grabbed one on the way down. No, it was Kristen. Oh, and John. Yeah, okay. Um, They grabbed one on the way down uh, off the stage last week. Awesome. But I want to go back to the kind of the scripture we've been hanging out in. Uh, for a couple weeks now, uh, because I think it illustrates so much of what we're about as a church. Uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 14, and then moving on, this is Jesus, then moving on, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he got up and followed him. I love in the Bible how simple it makes it. Jesus said, follow me, and they did. And uh, I tried that. It doesn't always work. Walking through a coffee shop, hey, follow me. They don't do it. They think it's weird. Uh, They whisper to their friend things that I don't know, but I'm pretty sure they were negative. So he got up and followed him. Verse 15, while he was reclining at the table in Levi's house, notice the jump. It went from follow me to I'm going to your house. And so the next place we see him is at the house reclining at the table. Because that's what happens at the table, reclining. Reclining at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were also guests with Jesus and his disciples. Because heaven meets earth at the table. Because there were many who were following him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked the disciples, why does he eat with the tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he told them, those who are well don't need a doctor, but the sick do need one. I don't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Isn't that interesting? It's amazing to me that sinners and disciples are found in the same place, and sometimes we tend to separate those. I would say that most likely, uh, some of them, were. there's probably a mix of people that were both sinners and disciples. How many of you know you can be a saint and a sinner all at the same time? Um, In some church traditions, a saint is someone who was deemed to be good enough to have that title. Uh, But in the gospel, you are a saint because you love Jesus, and Jesus gave you that. And, And so while we might be sinners, he is called a saint. And so we believe we are here to empower the saints to do the work of the ministry. Guess who the saints are? Us. Amen. There you go. You guys were good. That was good. Y'all did good. Y'all were trying to figure out, should I say you or we or me or us? Y'all said us. It was good. Let me pray over this. Lord, I thank you so much for this morning. God, I thank you that uh, as we focus on the table and focus on bringing people into our lives, that something will shift in our hearts towards people. And not only that, but it will shift in our hearts uh, about what you've called us to do and be. And God, so many of the issues we face in life are because we get so me-focused. Even in the effort to fix ourselves, we become me-focused. We, we think about ourselves trying to fix ourselves, and we find ourselves frustrated with ourselves. And that's why you tell us to put our eyes upon you, to lift our eyes to heaven, to think upon things that are beautiful and righteous and lovely, to think upon things that are great, because it takes our eyes off ourselves and puts our eyes upon you. So I pray that this morning, even as we read your word, as we talk about the table and we talk about the significance of the table, God, I pray that we would lift our eyes to Jesus, that you would be the author and perfecter of our faith, 
that we would strip off every weight and every sin that so easily, so easily entangles us. And we would put our eyes upon Jesus. And you would begin to shape us and shift us into the person you've created us to become. And that we would go from glory to glory, being created more and more in your image. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. That was a little sermon in itself. Um, I don't know. You guys, you guys know what a threshold is? When you think of a threshold, it's not really that big. It's not even a, a massive part of your house, but there is something about the threshold, that little piece of wood or metal or stone that is situated right at your front door. Have you ever had someone come to your door? Uh, maybe it's a pizza delivery man. It used to only be the pizza delivery man that showed up with food. Now you can get all kinds of food at your door. But the pizza man would show up at your door. And what do you do? You open the door and you step out of your, th- you step out of your house over the threshold. Or maybe you're one of these. You block the threshold. You stand on both sides. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody have a particular stance you take when someone shows up at your door? Maybe it's the the Altera guy trying to sell you on buying pest control. I had one dude that was really good at it, and I bought it even though we already had it. I had to cancel it the next day. I didn't realize we already had it. I found that out very quickly when I told Meredith that we bought it. And uh, he was good, man. He was really good. But you stand, you have a certain posture you get in at the threshold. Why? Because that one three-foot piece of wood or metal or stone is this, this place of entry. It's almost like this is the demarcation line. If, if you come in here, then you're welcome. If you don't, you're not. It's almost this kind of place where we decide who gets in and who stays out. Have you ever had someone come across the threshold that you didn't expect to come across the threshold? Maybe the pizza man felt really comfortable in your neighborhood, and they just stepped on in your house, and you're like, you, I mean, I know you got pizza, but I do not like you that much. I do not know you. I don't care what kind of toppings you got. I don't know who you are. The threshold is that place where you decide who gets to come in and who has to stay out. I don't know, maybe you've had some funny experiences at a threshold. I remember when I was in high school, I've told this story a couple times. I was in high school, and we had this thing at our school. I don't remember what it was called, but, but we had a small enough class. We had about 70, 75 people in our graduating class, and a couple times a year, we would all get together somewhere, and usually it was somebody's house. And uh, so we got together. <laughs> this is not a, this is school sanctioned, just in case some of you are like, yeah, that sounds like what you call a party. Um, this was a school sanctioned event, so we would get together, and I remember pulling up to this house. I'd never been to this house before. It was a friend of ours, but I'd never been to her house. And so we pull up, and uh, I pull up. I was by myself, and I pulled up to the side that everybody had parked on. Everybody, I mean every car was parked on the right side of the road. So I pulled up on the right side of the road, and I parked on the right side of the road, and then I just decided or assumed that since everybody was parked on the right side of the road, that the house, I didn't look at the address, y'all. I assumed I know, and I, I decided that the house was on the right side of the road. So I get out of the car, and I walk up the street, and it just so happened That it was a screen door, and the door itself, the actual front door, was open. You know, thinking back on it now, maybe all the people that were parked on that side were part of the group that I introduced myself to on accident. 
So I, and I'm, you know, I'm friends with this person. I don't think anything of it, and I know everybody who's going to be there. So I don't walk up to the door, and even though it was the polite thing to do, I didn't knock. I didn't ring the doorbell. Actually, I may have knocked a little bit, you know, one of those, like, just, just so you could open the door and move in. Like, you don't even knock so somebody would come. You just knock to know that you did that, because that's what we do in Texas. We're very polite, you know, all those kind of things. And I opened the door, and I walked right in. And I turned the corner, and I looked at a living room full of people. And I did not know a single one of them. And they stared at me. No one moved. They didn't know what was this dude doing in our living room. They were as shocked as I was. I feel like I could have done something. I could have taken something. Nobody would have moved. They didn't know what was going on. Like, who is this dude that's bold enough to walk into our house? Don't mess with him. And so I turn the corner, and I walk in, and I see these people. And they're all old. And I'm supposed to be meeting a bunch of seniors in high school. I go, well, these people are not in my geometry class. Like, I do not know them. I have never seen them before. And I do not go to a huge class. I know every single person in my school. So I turn the corner. I see all these people. I do one of these. <laughs> I turn around. And I walk out. <laughs> now, here's the thing. This is before. I don't think I, I may have had a cell phone. I'm not sure. I probably had a pager, right? The only thing a pager was good for was for your parents to page you and for you to spell bad words. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of you don't. It's all good. And I walk across the street and walk in the correct house. And I moved on from there, but I remember that story. I don't even remember the rest of the night. I just remember that moment of staring in a bunch of people's faces that had no clue who I was. There's something about walking over the threshold of somebody's house. That it's, it's, it's almost like this is my space. This is my private place. You aren't allowed in here unless I grant you access into this place. If you walk across that line, it doesn't even matter if the pizza dude or whoever it is walks one step in. There's part of you that's like, are you allowed in here? They don't have to go in your living room. They don't have to sit at your table. They don't have to walk into your kitchen. They don't have to use the rest. They don't have to do any of that. They just take one step in. How many of you know you look at them like, do you belong here? And so you, even when people come to your door, they're trying to deliver something, you know it's on the way, and you step out of your house to make sure they don't come into your house. There's something about a threshold that matters, and this is kind of where Jesus is in this story. He's walked across people's threshold that most of the religious people of the day would never have walked across. They would never have gone in uh, to the threshold. They, they would have never crossed over that place because they knew that it meant something. That if I, if I go across that threshold, if I go across and into that entry that maybe I'm accepting something or I'm approving something or, or, or I might have to deal with something or, or maybe they'll think I'm friends with them or, or maybe they'll think I'm a buddy or, or whatever it might be. There's something about crossing the threshold that really is significant. And I think for us as a church, we have to be really good at setting a right and good and healthy and welcoming threshold. When anybody walks in the doors of a Sunday morning across the threshold, they should be welcomed and loved. In fact, we should step outside the doors and welcome people before they even get in the house so they can kind of know what's going to happen once they do get in. At our dinner parties, the people would come into the threshold and go, I, this is a place that I find welcoming. This is a place that I find hope. This is a place where I find joy. This is a place where I find acceptance. This is a place where I find life. 
And I know I mentioned at the beginning of this series a book, and I brought it this morning uh, because printed books are better than uh, e-books or audio books. I'm not even sure I understand the term audio book, but regardless, um, this book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. I wanted to read a quote, and when I opened it earlier, I lost the page, so y'all just, oh, that just worked. I just turned to the right page. I want to read this quote to you from this book, and I just want you to, now, she uses this phrase, radical, ordinary hospitality. Radical, ordinary hospitality. I love the dichotomy of that phrase. Radically ordinary hospitality characterizes those who don't fuss over different worldviews represented at the dinner table. The truly hospitable aren't embarrassed to keep friendships with people who are different. They don't buy the world's bunk about this. They know that there is a difference between acceptance and approval, and they courageously accept and respect people who think differently from them. They don't worry, listen to this line, that others will misinterpret their friendship. Jesus dined with sinners, but he didn't sin with sinners. Jesus lived in the world, but he didn't live like the world. This is the Jesus paradox, and it defines those who are willing to suffer with others for the sake of the gospel, sharing the gospel, living, those who care more for integrity than appearance. It's good, right? I feel like I could just pray. We'll just close out the service after that. But here's the thing. Here's here's what typically happens. And this is why I want to tell you this phrase, and maybe you would not have ever thought about it this way, but I believe the table and the threshold is a place of spiritual warfare. How many of you love that phrase? You don't hear that in church all the time, but it's very real in the gospel. It's very real in the Bible. Paul knew this phrase. He knew at least the idea of it. He talked about it, and he actually told you to suit up for it. I believe that the threshold or the table is a place where the moment you begin to welcome certain things into your life and the moment you begin to allow or accept or bring in or invite people into your world, there's, a, there's an opportunity for you in your own life to begin to have this battle on the inside in your mind and your heart about what is allowed and what isn't allowed. And it's driven by the Pharisees' question that they ask here at the end of this story. What do they say? Why... Why are you eating with sinners and tax collectors? Other translations say, how could you eat with sinners and tax collectors? Another translation would say, what kind of example is this that you would sit and eat with those who are sinners and tax collectors, all the while forgetting to mention that he was also eating with disciples? Isn't that what it tends to happen, we tend to look at people and we, we, we tend to just pick out the negative things. We tend to just pick out the things that don't look right or don't sound right or don't feel right or someone told us is in the Bible is wrong. Or we tend to go, well, they did this or they did that. and They forget the fact that the other 12 people at the table are there to love and serve and want to welcome people in. They forget all the good things. And so here's Jesus sitting here and the Pharisees goes, why, why would you eat here? How Could you? Have you ever had someone ask you that question? How could you do that to me? See, that's that's the kind of, see, when we hear spiritual warfare, we think of like swords and fighting, and, and some of that's true, but the reality of it is spiritual warfare is about willing to beckon or call into your place, your table, your house, your life, the reign of Christ. And knowing that the moment you decide to let God reign in your world, to let his kingdom be your kingdom, to let his place be your place, to let him reign in your world, there is going to be a fight for that. 
There's going to be a fight for your heart, a fight for your mind, a fight for your judgments, a fight for your welcoming, a fight for your acceptance, a fight for your decisions. Because the moment you decide you're going to take the gospel into places no one else is taking it, there is going to be something that comes into your head. The enemy is going to go, why would you do that? How could you possibly forgive? How could you possibly love? How could you possibly serve those people? And you're going to begin to have this discussion in your own head. And some of us don't think about it that way, but that is what it looks like to fight this fight of faith, is to, to fight through the, the things. That's why the Bible tells us to take captive what? Every thought. Not other people's thoughts. The Bible actually tells you don't worry about what other people think. Don't worry about that. Don't fight against that. I want you to take captive every thought in your mind, every thought that comes your way. You need to make sure you take that captive and fight that because you need to understand that God's called you to something greater than even you can think because his ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. He is smarter than even the smart. The Bible says that at his, at his least knowledgeable point, he is smarter than the wisest of men. At his weakest point, he is stronger than the strongest of men. And if we decide, if we try to decide who gets to cross the threshold, we begin to mess up what God is trying to do in and through our lives. If we worry about people misinterpreting what he wants to do in us. I want to take you to Ephesians chapter 6 because... I want to make a real clear distinction. This is one of Paul's clearest statements on this idea of fighting, this idea of spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter 6 says this, verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics. Let me, let me actually, I'm going to read it off here. There you go. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil for our battle. Here's a key statement. Are you ready? For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. Now, now I want you to hear, I'm going to read this again, okay? For our battle, that's you and me, are you with me? For our battle is not, everybody say not, I just want to make this really clear, is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. But it is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. So, so here's really, really key. He's making a distinction here. And he's making this distinction because it is the, it is the primary place of problem for us. It is the primary issue for you and I when it comes to people. Is we believe that the fight we are in is against the person across the table from us. We believe the fight we are in is against the person across the street or across the aisle or, or, or across the way. We, we think that the fight is against the person. And so we begin to think against the person. And we begin to talk about or think about or, or discuss or decide opinions on the person. We think about the flesh and the blood of the person that has hurt us or hurt someone else or frustrated or, or, or done something wrong. And, and, and there are people, I don't know if you know this, there are people who do things wrong. And the problem with Jesus is he ate at the table with them too. In fact, one of the most powerful stories in the gospel is Jesus sitting at the table uh, with a woman who in the, in, 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 in the story of it uh, is a sinful woman. That's all they say. 
But it's, but it's pretty clear that this is a woman who is a, a prostitute, and, and she comes in and she begins to wash his feet with a very expensive perfume. And the religious leaders of the day, he's sitting in a Pharisee. I mean, here, let me just blow your world up, blow your mind. I want to blow your mind, Scott, right? There we go. Just in case you think that Pharisees were so unlovable, because we talk about Pharisees so terribly. We, we talk about them like, Jesus was, when this whole thing happened, Jesus was sitting at a Pharisee's table. And a prostitute came in and began to wash his feet. And they began to ask him, how could you? Why would you? And he begins to say, well, she actually washed my feet. You didn't. She actually knelt down and took care of me. You didn't. She welcomed me in. You didn't. This spiritual warfare, this idea that somehow we can't accept certain people, and if you don't make the distinction between flesh and blood and principalities and powers, if you don't make the distinction, you'll never make the invitation. If you don't make the distinction between what this fight is really against and what you're actually battling when you're thinking about somebody or talking about somebody or wanting to invite somebody, but you don't feel like you can because if you invite them, then you... If you don't make that distinction, then you will never be able to make the invitation that Jesus really wants you to make. Because the truth is, if you were to hang out with Jesus and eat at the tables he ate at, you would be uncomfortable. He would have eaten at, the, at place, people's table that you, in our current society, you would have never sat at the table with. Phrases like, words like, titles like, pedophile. Jesus would have sat at that table. Murderer. Jesus would have sat at that table. Because Jesus understood the distinction between the fight of flesh and blood and the fight of principalities and powers. Now, when you say this idea of principalities and powers, now I know some of you guys are like, wait, this is spiritual war. This is a weird topic. I, I understand. But we make it weird because we want to, we, the more weird we make it, the less we actually have to deal with it practically. The less we have to actually deal with it in our daily life. We can attach it to some weird things and we're realizing that we, we actually can do that at our dinner table with a hello and a welcome, and a piece of bread, and some ravioli. How many of you know? Nobody, Mary's like, I don't eat ravioli. A burger, whatever. Serve some forgiveness with some french fries. Or tacos. Okay, I don't need any more suggestions. Thank you. But we, 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 we forget that just simply being present where other people aren't present is the very thing that it gives us space and gives us room to love someone. Jesus understands that the fight we're in is not, it is not against people. It's against powers. Now, again, this word powers or authorities or principalities, all of these, and especially in that day, you would have understood these as people who were over or in charge of a particular place. Every kingdom had lines drawn, just like our states have lines drawn, just like our cities, as confusing as it can be, have lines drawn as to what constitutes that city from this city, what divides this city from that city, this state from that state, this kingdom from that kingdom. It was a very clear line, and, 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 and get this, I want you to hear this as we're talking about the threshold. These powers and principalities, this idea of this power and principality, this whole idea was built on this idea that, that they were deciding what was coming in and what was going out. They were going to decide what was allowed into your life and what wasn't. They were going to keep trying to condemn you. They were going to keep trying to hurt you. They were going to try to keep think, making you think 
poorly about people, not forgive people, not love people, not serve people. This whole idea was, man, they're trying to guard the threshold. They're trying to make sure that you, just not anybody can come in. They're trying to make sure that the grace God's trying to give you stays out. That the empowerment God's trying to give you stays out. That, that the forgiveness that isn't really, really is not out of your own power, but out of his, it stays out. That, that you condemn people rather than welcome people. That, that you shut people out rather than welcome them in. I mean, the whole idea of spiritual warfare, the whole idea, and I don't even mean to keep saying the phrase, but the idea that we would welcome people into our home, welcome people to our table, begins to break down certain thoughts and ideas, begins to break down certain boundaries that people have drawn. How many of you ever walked into a church or walked into a dinner party and gone, oh my goodness, I that, was, that was really fun. I was listening to Wesley, who's uh, in, in kids this morning, but uh, he, he, he shared that this week in his class, he's teaching at a Christian school, so he actually gets to talk about Jesus now, which he hadn't been able to do for several years, but uh, he's talking to them about how he's having a dinner party at his house, or at Mary's house, and he's inviting people to the table, and every student looked at him like he was crazy, because nobody does that anymore. And yet here he is inviting people to the table and, and what he's doing, even in the minds of these young kids, is, is he's beginning to shift and change and fight against this idea that nobody is welcome at our table. Nobody, they don't get to come to our, they don't get to come into our house. This is our castle rather than what it should be, which is a sanctuary for people. What other house than a Christian's house? Should people be welcomed, loved, served, encouraged, empowered, set free? Come on, serve some food and serve some faith and forgiveness all at the same time. What house other than a Christian's house should be the one on the block where everybody is welcome? Anyone can come play. I mean, our house, now the, the parent, we had Ross came over just the other day because he was chasing down his granddaughter. His granddaughter was playing on the trampoline in our house. I'm not even sure we knew that was happening, but that's just kind of the, the mode. And we just realized the other day, we need to have all our neighbors over for dinner. We hadn't done that yet. But we built this community in our neighborhood. We live in a cul-de-sac, so they can't escape us anyways. They only go one way. God wants us to begin to, to set a, a, a new threshold. And, and the reality is this, that that's what the gospel does. The gospel sets a new threshold. It's interesting, but if, if I were to say the word threshold to you, many of you maybe didn't go to the, immediately to the doorway of your house. You went to the idea that uh, you want to increase your threshold. I know, I know Mo's here, personal trainer, and you want to increase the threshold of someone's ability to lift a certain weight or, or, or move past, not break down. To, you know, so when you would do bench press, they would do the max weight. Why? Because they wanted to see what your threshold was. And, and, and once they mark the threshold, they can begin to train you and push you into a place where you're going to be able to lift more weight. Right? Because the threshold, in some instances, actually just means that you are, that it's a certain point where a certain reaction occurs. And Jesus actually shifted the threshold on the cross. That's what the gospel says. I want, I want, I want, I want to prove it to you in case some of you guys are looking at me like, no, that's not actually what it says. I want you to go to Matthew, just over from Mark where we were a second ago. Matthew chapter 27. And read out of verse 50. Okay. You guys ready? Matthew 27, are you ready? Are you still with me? Okay, Matthew chapter 27, verse 50. Jesus shouted again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. 
Suddenly, suddenly the curtain of the sanctuary was split in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked and the rocks were split. Now, that's a kind of a random thing to say unless you understood that this veil or this curtain that was in the Holy of Holies of the temple or the sanctuary was, was the, place that was the place that represented and held the presence of God. So, so in the Old Testament, when God told the people of Israel to build a temple, to build a sanctuary, he built it with certain places that you would go into. And it had a couple different levels, a few different levels. And the most, the, the, the most central place was called the Holy of Holies. And it had a, a curtain in front of it. And the high priest, like the top dog, the one that, 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 this is the guy who set all the rules. This is the one who spoke to God. This is the one who, when he got a word from the Lord, he would give it to you. And, and it was that kind of a deal. He would go into the Holy of Holies. He's the only person allowed in this little space. And, and not only was he the only one allowed, he would only go in once a year. That's how special it was. He could only go in one time a year into the presence of God, the Holy of Holies. Jesus dies on a cross, and it tells us that that, that veil, that curtain was ripped in two. And all of a sudden it fell away, and now, now there was a new threshold for every single person who called on Jesus. Now all of a sudden, anyone could walk across the threshold and into the presence and life of Christ. Everything God did was to set a new threshold in us. Everything he established with Christ was to set a new threshold, was to say, hey, everyone can come into this place because I have now made it available with the price that I paid and the sacrifice I made and the resurrection of life. I I want you to understand now everyone can come in, and you know what? You can come in whenever you want. See, at one point, that veil was to keep people out. It was to kind of set a marker for who was righteous enough and who was able enough and who was good enough to show up. And even then, they could only come in one time a year. It didn't mean that you never saw God move or never experienced that outside of that, but it was the strongest representation of that on the earth. And then all of a sudden, Jesus dies on a cross and changes the covenant. He changes the agreement, changes what happens here. And now, all of a sudden, everyone is welcome in. So where it was at one point a place where people were kept out, now it was a place where people could come in. I mean, even Jesus, when he says to his disciples, I'm going to be with you, and he says to them, and you, the, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Now, 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 what he's saying in that moment is that you are going to establish a new threshold for people, that nothing the gates of hell, nothing the enemy is going to try to do in your life is going to keep you. You actually are going to be on the offensive. You are not going to be on the defensive, straddling the threshold, making sure nobody gets in. You're actually going to, welcome, you're going to open your screen door, and you're going to end up with some people walking into the living room, and you're going to look at them and go, I don't know you. Why are you in this room? But when you understand the good news and the grace of Christ, you begin to understand That anyone who walks in the door is welcome at your table. And if you don't make the distinction, if you don't understand that it is not flesh and blood, it is not what you did or you did or she said or he said or he did or we did. It's none of those things that determine whether or not I love you, I fight for you, I'm with you. None of those things do that. It is Jesus and Jesus alone that decide for you because it is not against flesh and blood but against the powers and principalities, those who are trying to set a threshold and you are deciding in your spirit and in your surrender to Christ 
that this threshold is going to be one where anyone can come in. And I guess that's the question for us today is, do we understand the threshold? Because nobody's going to sit at your table until they're allowed to cross your threshold. Who are you willing to allow at your table? Who are you willing to let through your threshold, over your threshold? At what point do you begin to say, at what threshold do you begin to have a reaction towards certain people? At what point do you begin to go, well, okay, I can invite everyone up to this point, and then at that point, I'm not letting anybody in. Because Jesus, see, Jesus established a new threshold with us. Jesus all of a sudden decided that, that we were able to walk into new relationship with him regardless of what we had ever done and regardless of what we will ever do. See, some of us are fighting this battle in our spirit, and it's a battle not against flesh and blood, but it's a battle we've made about flesh and blood. It's a battle we've made about our good works or what we're able to do. And so we've decided that the threshold for God's grace towards us is at a certain point. And if we've ever hit past that point or if we've ever made it past that point, we are no longer accepted. We're no longer worthy of his grace. We no longer can have his love, no longer can receive his forgiveness. We no longer can be a part of his family because we've crossed a threshold and now he doesn't love us the same. We've made the threshold even of God's grace towards us much lower than he would have ever made it. In fact, in Romans 5, it says that where sin abounds, grace abounds what? Much more. In other words, no matter how far sin goes, grace will always go further. No matter how far sin tries to condemn you, no matter how much the sin you've gone, no matter how much you've done, grace will always go farther. His grace will always go. And not only that, grace is not just there to tie sin. I think that's why we have a messed up version of grace. Because we think grace is just there to get a draw. Just there to get a zero-zero tie. As long as we can cancel each other out, we're good. But that is not what the Bible teaches us. That is not what Paul talks about in Romans. Paul talks about this grace that goes, all right, you got zero, I got five. You got zero, I got ten. I'm going to run rule you before this thing even gets started. It's not just a grace to be set free from, it's a grace to walk into what God's called you to do, to do more than you ever thought you could do, so that you can establish a new threshold in your life. So you can establish a new threshold for other people in your world. So that you can forgive people in a way you never thought possible. So you can love people you never thought you would love because they, they did something or they said something, or maybe you just thought that you didn't like the way they dressed today, or the way they said something, or the post you saw on Facebook, or the, 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 the political party they're a part of, or the part of town they come from, or, or the color of their skin, or whatever it is. And God's grace to you abounds much more than in every sin you could do and any sin they could do. And so you have enough grace to give grace and still have grace left over. So where is the threshold for us as a church? Where is the threshold in, in your life? Where is the threshold for people? Who's allowed in? Who's not? How are you standing at your door? What are you deciding about people? Are you allowing people to cross your threshold that before you knew Jesus, you never would have? Or have you kept the threshold the exact same even though Jesus has entered your life and said, hey, I think, I think we should leave the door open a little bit longer, a little bit wider? 
I think we should actually go invite people because I, I just want you to understand, we're not fighting them. I find that the more I fight people, the more we fight. It, it's really rare that I fight somebody into agreement. Are you listening to me? It's very rare that I pick out all the things I disagree with so that we become friends. I have to be a big enough person in Christ Jesus to let God do something in my life and allow people to cross over the threshold so that we could sit at the table and find out that God's grace is big enough for all of us. That's what I, was, that's what I want our city to know about us. That's what I want you to know about Jesus. Now there's two questions, and I'm going to close with this. There were two questions the Pharisees asked of Jesus. And, and, and different translations say it different ways, but I think both, both questions are actually critical. That's why I love the Bible, because it's got some layers to it. In fact, there's four ways to read the Bible. I'm not going to go into it now, but it's pretty cool. Here's the thing. There's a, a why would you do that, and a how could you do that. And those are two very different questions. How could you allow that person at your table? Well, we just read Ephesians 6. If you go read the rest of Ephesians 6, what he actually says to you is, resist the devil, submit to Jesus. In fact, he says submission first, because your submission to God fuels your resistance to the enemy. And the more you submit to him in prayer, in the word, and in fellowship and relationship, the more you submit to who he is, the more you will resist all the condemnation, all the stuff that the enemy wants to throw your way. So how could you do it? By submitting to the power of God. Why? Well, Jesus' answer is pretty clear. In fact, he said it right after they asked the question. He says, because I didn't come to save people who didn't need saving. I didn't come to heal people who didn't need healing. I came to save those who understood that they were not righteous and they had some sin in their lives, and I came for them. That's the why. Why would you do it? Because I'm here with his purpose. I'm here in his power, but I'm here with his purpose, that I would love people that other people don't love, and I would, I would, I would welcome them in when other people won't. And I will invite them to my table, even if it makes me a little bit uncomfortable because I'm not doing it in my own strength. I'm doing it in his. I'm doing it with his power. And the truth is, he did it for me. He set a table before my enemies, even when I didn't deserve it. He came and gave me life when I was still dead, even though I hadn't even responded to him yet. He said, I'm giving everything for you, hoping, believing that you would see it as love and know it as love and receive it that way and understand that you were always welcome at his table and you could always cross his threshold. So what's your table's threshold? Who's allowed at your table? Is it just the good people? Jesus said even, even the devils know that God is, is God. That doesn't necessarily decide it. That's not really the thing. But are you actually living that way? Are you actually believing that? Are there, are there people you've decided to leave out of God's grace? Are there people you've decided to, 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 to pull back the invitation from? In fact, some of the miracles you want so deeply in your life are not going to happen just in your life. They're going to happen through your life. And unless you're willing to go welcome somebody across your threshold or go across theirs, you will never see the amazing power of God's grace, not just towards them, but towards you. See, when I understand that God welcomed me at his table and allowed me through his threshold, all of a sudden my willingness to allow other people to do the same changes. And I want to be a church that invites people across the threshold every chance we get. 
Who have you kept out? Who have you, who have you decided is not worth a spot at your table? Who have you decided is going to step away from what you're going to do in your life? And I, I, I just want to encourage you this morning. How many of you guys have decided God's threshold for you has already been reached and you no longer qualify for God's grace? And maybe for some of us, if we understood that the threshold has been opened up, that you and I could walk into a place undeserving, unqualified, unrighteous, and Jesus would say, you are exactly who I was looking for. Once we understand that, then all of a sudden the threshold in our lives gets bigger, wider, larger, stronger, and all of a sudden people begin to come into our lives we would never have expected, and we are influencing and loving and serving people into a place where they see Jesus. I want you to bow your head with me.